You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Stay tuned to hear more about Bilt Bar's fabulous relaunch and how you can take part. On tonight's episode, we have a couple of things I wanted to discuss. We will be continuing our Greatest Playmaker series, especially uh, hockey players and football players alike. But before then, I did think it was probably a good idea to cover the NHL's recent discussions to try and relaunch next season. Or I guess the lack of discussions in some cases, because it sounds like the dialogue between the, uh, the NHL Players Association and the league itself hasn't exactly been going particularly well. You may recall that the CBA was recently extended for about four years and that the players agreed to a couple of different things. They agreed to a new escrow and there were some other different provisions for how the payment system was going to work that players, generally speaking, favored in the COVID climate. And so the league also agreed to it, which they didn't really need to do and they could have waited or even just left it as is and, and sort of tabled the discussions until COVID was a little bit more understood, especially the financial impacts, but the league agreed to this. As it turns out, now that the league has already signed the contract and is essentially contractually bound to uphold their end of the bargain and continue next season, what it's looking like is that it's going to cost teams and the league quite a bit of money, and they aren't really pleased with that. My thinking is that if you sign the agreement and you extended it for four years and you've already been living under the COVID situation for at least a couple of months by the time the CBA was actually approved, why did you sign the agreement in the first place? My thought is that, you know, obviously players are trying to exercise their power here, and they do have some because, you know, obviously they're the ones who need to get paid. And the NHL is talking about canceling next season, but if they do, it basically would become a labor law violation because of some of the language in the CBA that was approved. I'm not exactly a legal expert, but I've seen some uh, analysis from folks who are, and they all seem to think that the NHL is kind of screwed here. The league has been floating around the idea of using some of its power to try and cancel next season, but if it does, it presents a serious legal issue, especially with the new CBA that they've agreed to. I think because they've agreed to it and signed it, they really don't have a choice, and they're asking players for about $300 million more to hold the next season, but that's just not a thing that's going to have to happen. I think the league is going to have to accept that it's going to lose quite a bit of cash. Players have a more favorable escrow, and that's how it's going to be. The league needs to accept it and be ready and start planning for next season. Personally, I don't need to see the NHL happen. I, I think that right now with how COVID is, obviously the situation is pretty intense, and I'd rather players prioritize safety more than anything. We're already seeing some of the international leagues shut down, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But from the NHL perspective and the North American side of things, I, I think that the league has to do all it can to try and get the season underway. Obviously, it's not really an ideal situation for any party involved, but the players are, are looking for this. They've signed the agreement, and it's now up to the NHL to actually fulfill their end of the bargain. I really don't see why people would be supporting the ownership of the league and the league itself here. I think the league is definitely in the wrong. They've basically dug their own graves on this particular situation, and it's a bit of a poor look to see them trying to walk away from the agreement that they signed. 
the league can't you know engage in a situation where they're going to start leading to like a lockout because that that presents a whole host of uh, legal challenges and financial situations and ramifications neither of which the league can really afford to fight right now i don't really know how next season is even going to take form because to be honest i think the situation is going to lead to you know the need for several bubbles they're talking about reorganizing some of the divisions but the nhl again put themselves in the place where they don't really have an out here they have to find a way to, to ensure that next season happens in some capacity. The league has talked about using force majeure, but they don't really have a leg to stand on, and I think if it became a legal battle between the Players Association and the league, the NHL would end up losing. Because COVID was already a known quantity and the impact was understood in a relative sense uh, by the time the CBA extension was signed, I think the league is pretty much bound to figure out the best way to move forward after this. They can't really try to halt or suspend the season in the way that they're probably hoping because they just don't really have any grounds to do so. I mean, they already held like an extended regular season and a postseason in a bubble situation, so obviously the league has proven to itself that it can actually host this thing, and certainly, you know, from a legal perspective, has shown that it can actually run a season. We all know that, realistically, it's going to cost the league tons of money, and I'm sure it's going to take a huge hit out of the revenues, which are already going to be depressed, but the league put itself in this situation, and they kind of have to see it through. It's not like the NHL is going to think that it can't get out of this, because already we're seeing other leagues around the world starting to suspend temporarily. I believe the Finnish league just suspended over the past day or so, and they are postponing games at least through most of December. I think the situation there, though, is that uh, Liga is not really talking about canceling the season, and to be honest, I think that the way that their CBA is probably set up is going to be different than what the NHL has agreed to, so I don't know that the NHL is really going to be able to have much of a leg to stand on if the other leagues and other sports leagues, especially in North America, continue to operate as expected. I don't really think the NHL has much grounds for canceling. Again, on a personal level, I do think that there is merit to canceling the season. I think with how COVID is and how the situation continues to unfold, obviously a lot of guys would be put at risk. But from a contractual labor standpoint, I don't really think the league is going to have many options here. They're just going to have to understand that they need to pay up and ultimately figure out the best way to run the season. I don't really know what the answer is because I think the situation is extremely complicated. And to be honest, I, I think it's going to be tough setting up bubbles for more than, you know, 60 70 even 80 plus games but the nhl kind of did this to themselves and i think the players to a degree have to figure out a way to deal with it too i can't say i'm really excited about next season i feel like the stuff that's happening with how the nfl has handled it has made me a little bit suspicious but you know the nhl did hold a uh, pretty good bubble playoff system i don't know if they can do it for the entire regular season but they're basically going to have to do it sometime in the next couple of months I don't think the league really has an option of putting it off for uh, that much longer, especially if they try to essentially delay the season long enough to cancel it. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to get it kick-started uh, within the near future. Who knows what's going to happen? All I know is uh, I've been okay without the NHL for the past couple of months. I wouldn't mind seeing hockey return again, but hopefully it's under better circumstances. Speaking of a resumation under better circumstances, in just a little bit we'll take a look at some of the top playmakers in the game who might have an impact on this upcoming season should it happen, as well as some of the world's top playmakers on the football pitch. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about tonight's title sponsors at Built Bar. If you have never had a Built Bar, it is a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. 
longtime listeners of this podcast know that I've liked Built Bar for a while, and I definitely prefer them to a lot of the competitors out there. But like any great company, Built Bar isn't sitting idly by and waiting for the rest of the competition to catch up. They're back and better than ever with six brand new flavors including Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, and Apple Almond Crisp. As good as these flavors taste, they're even better for you, with most Built Bars clocking in at around 200 calories or less, between 15 to 19 grams of protein, and around 5 grams of net carbs. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. You can also sample their 12 original flavors, and if you need a recommendation, I'd suggest raspberry and mint brownie as your starting points, but feel free to check out their variety box if you can't make a choice. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you get 20% off your next order. Again, don't forget, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. On tonight's episode, as promised, we will be continuing our Creative Playmaker series. And as you may have guessed, over the next couple of days, we'll be continuing that series. Uh, either this, you know, coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we'll have two more episodes this week. And if the NHL makes any further announcements about whatever their return to play plan is, I'll give you an update on that as well. On tonight's show, though, we will be taking a look at some of San Jose's most creative playmakers, and I feel like San Jose, generally speaking, has a couple of guys that everyone kind of gravitates around, and I think the first is obviously Joe Thornton. Now, Thornton is no longer with the team, but I think we can discuss him as uh, his legacy on, on the Sharks team remains one of the most important. I, I don't know that there's a more recent player who has had the kind of reputation that Thornton has had that really brought the level of intellect, playmaking ability, and distribution skill that that Jumbo Joe brought. Though he has now departed for Toronto, it's obvious that this is probably the end of his career and maybe his last season. So really, when you look at what he's done with the Sharks, I think that his body of work has truly been remarkable. There are very few players in the league and the league's history that demonstrated as much IQ, as much patience, and as much skill in threading the needle as Jumbo Joe did. He hasn't exactly been super mobile, but that hasn't really stopped him from finding those passing lanes, creating offensive opportunities, and driving play at a level that people his age usually don't achieve. Obviously, he's not quite as sharp as he used to be, but what you get with Jumbo is somebody who's still very strong on the puck, he has top-level vision, and though his gear isn't quite as high as it used to be, he can still get up and down the ice and find teammates. In his better years, he was a very potent point scorer. Not exactly somebody who put it in the back of the net, but usually helped his teammates do that instead. You know, he'd rack up like a, a 60, 70, sometimes 80-point season, mostly off of assists. He really was kind of that anchor and catalyst for his teammates more so than his own personal accolades. And he was an incredibly dominant two-way center who could also hold his own in defensive coverages. Thornton in many ways presented one of the most model first-line two-way centers of the modern era. Though he's no longer with the team, I think it's obvious to say that when he does make his return, he will definitely be cheered. He's one of those players who's just timeless and who seems to, even though he's slowing down, still be productive in some capacity. Speaking of guys who are maybe starting to age a little bit but are still incredibly productive, the Sharks have also picked up Eric Carlson, and Carlson is a more recent addition. He is one of those guys who I, I think is, is starting to decline a bit. When he was at his best, especially with the Sens, Carlson was an effortless creator who could basically glide around the ice and dominate offensive possession in a way that very few defensemen have ever been able to do. I've talked about him as a potent goal scorer, but he's also just a potent creator in general. He, in many ways, I think has, has elements of his game that were later taken on by other defensive players like Quinn Hughes and some others, and that dynamic edge work creates space for either himself or his line mates. 
that sort of natural offensive gifted ability, especially understanding where he needs to be and how to create those passing and shooting lanes, just sets him apart from so many other attackers. He was comfortable operating from around the blue line and then dropping low into attacking positions near the goal mouth, which I think makes him one of the most versatile skaters out there. And because he was so dominant on the puck, especially in the offensive zone, he didn't really tend to give up too many chances the other way. When he did, though, obviously his defensive coverages probably weren't as strong. I think he was one of those guys who was looking more to create breakouts headed the other way. And certainly in front of the net, he wasn't really blocking too, too many shots. I mean, he did block shots and, and did try to intercept passes ahead of schedule. But I think for the most part, what you look for from him is heading up the ice the other way and creating counters and breakouts. This is something where I tend to think of him as something of a build-up specialist. When you want to create pace and tempo in your game, you use Eric Carlson from the back end to create everything so that your forwards have a much easier time. Once inside the offensive zone, you just let Carlson do his thing because he's an incredibly active roamer and somebody who's always looking to find the most clear route to the net. You factor in his near effortless charm and affable personality, and I really think you have somebody who has just been a, a winner throughout his entire career. And it's crazy that Ottawa wasn't able to keep him around. I think he's probably one of those guys who I would have done just about anything to keep him on the team. But obviously, a lot of the stuff that happened behind the scenes really spoiled the relationship between himself and management. And I think that that definitely showed when he left for San Jose. What is super crazy about him is just how durable he is. Like, he constantly seems like he's playing with like six different broken body parts, and yet he just keeps on trucking, and it's a little bit scary. He may be a points machine, but obviously there is a limit to how much the body can take before it eventually catches up to you, and I do wonder if over the next couple of seasons, we're going to see both age and injury history start to catch Carlson a bit. The last guy we'll talk about in terms of the Sharks roster is Timo Meyer, and I don't know if I've covered him before, but Meyer is one of those really underrated goal scorers and playmakers who I feel like just constantly goes under the radar despite being one of San Jose's most consistently dangerous creators. He's a very shifty skater with a, a really great shot, great vision, and a natural offensive awareness that allows him to be a spark just for any line that he's put on. I feel like his, his pretty good skating and his very good positioning as well as his decent physicality allows him to work himself behind defenses and create opportunities for himself and his teammates, which tends to be a trait we see a lot with these, uh, these playmakers that I've talked about who are also goal scorers. Meyer's a very smart offensive player, and I think it really shows in the way that he approaches goal scoring and points creation. He's looking to capitalize on offensive opportunities however possible, and if he can't make it himself, he'll give it to somebody else, and I really feel like Meyer is, is truly a modern NHL winger who does so much for his team, and it's crazy that it took him a while to find a little bit of traction at this level, mostly in terms of earning accolades and recognition, because I still think his name doesn't really float around too many lips. There are times when I've genuinely thought, Meyer is probably San Jose's best player on the ice, and this dude just seems to be so creative and so capable of doing basically whatever San Jose asks him, whether it's transition play, tracking back on defense, creating goal-scoring opportunities, or putting the puck in the back of the net himself. He's a phenomenal player and somebody that I think Sharks fans should be really enjoying for the next several years. Of course, guys like Meyer do actually exist in the world of football as well, and in just a moment we'll take a look at some of the world's top goal-scoring playmakers who are gifted in so many more capacities than just putting the ball in the back of the net. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight's episode discussing some of the top playmakers in hockey and world football with an interesting look at one of my favorite goal-scoring wingers, Jaden Sancho. Obviously, I am a Borussia Dortmund fan, so I am a little bit biased, and this year we've seen a little bit of a step back from Sancho just because 
I think his role on the team has changed and the way that he needs to engage, especially offensively, has also changed. And he's trying to align himself to those standards that he needs to be holding himself to. But I think we'll look at the uh, the past couple of seasons and why he's become such a hotly discussed prospect. And I, th- I think the first thing is that when it comes to aggressive dribbling and matching up against defenders one-on-one, Sancho is probably the closest we come to, like, a Kyle Connor of world football. He has a ridiculous amount of tools to break down a defender, including body feints, incredible dribbling, excellent spatial and physical awareness, excellent acceleration. Sancho is seriously ridiculous, and when he's at his best, there's basically no one who can stop him. You you would have to foul him and physically grab him and drag him down to keep him from getting into the uh, offensive third and attacking the box. Once he gets near the box, I think his true brilliance shows, and he starts to find these soft areas where he can tuck far angle shots, you know, going far post, and, and just sort of, I, I would guess like calling it ground sniping, I don't really know what else to describe it as, because he's not somebody who really elevates shots that often, but he looks for like sharp angle shots where he can kind of get it across goal and sort of keep it just out of reach of the goalkeeper. He's also just as happy, though, to feed those shots into more passing opportunities instead. And last year, he racked up 17 goals and 17 assists across the uh, the Bundesliga competition, which is absolutely ridiculous, especially for a very young winger in a very tough league playing a game, uh, you know, that's arguably a bit unconventional and in some ways very unique for this, this particular team that he's on, and really this league as a whole. I mean, there's just not many players like Sancho in the world. He hasn't yet had this ability to quite take over games in the way that I think a lot of people are asking of him yet, but I, th- I think he'll get there, and I think with continued time and development and patience, we'll see Sancho become this world beater who just is able to create so much out of nothing. He really is one of the most exciting young prospects, and I'm very excited to see where he goes next. The last guy we'll talk about on tonight's episode is somebody who doesn't really score all that many goals, but I think has has produced some really fabulous results. And it's really interesting to consider this particular player because he's not somebody who started off with the most promising outlook because he had a lot of limitations in his game. I am, of course, referring to Adama Traore of uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers, and Traore is a really interesting player. He started off in Barcelona's youth system and then kind of rose through the ranks, but ultimately it became clear that, you know, Traore was like a physical beast. He had incredible upper body strength. He had ridiculous pace and acceleration because he had such a really powerful running frame. And at one point, it was suggested that he actually move to the NFL instead because he was built more like a running back. The suggestion was also made because he lacked some of the technical flair and skill that you're looking for from somebody who needs to be playing at the highest levels of football. And I think it was clear that Traore, if he was ever to make the top flight like the Premier League or something, it was going to be a bit of a project. He came to Wolves a couple of seasons ago, and at first I think a lot of the concerns about his particular style of play and his his technical limitations were immediately made clear. The dude was fast as all get out. I mean, he could run up the pitch at a speed that no one on the planet could really touch. Once he got into the final third, though, that's where a lot of the flaws in his particular game, especially in his creativity and his lack of finishing and and passing ability, started to show themselves. Last season, though, we started to see Traore turn into a very different player, and by the end, he was one of the most dangerous wings in all of the Premier League. This guy could create goal-scoring opportunities with raw pace, strength, and actually demonstrating really good vision and distribution in ways that he hadn't shown before. He was showing a bit more patience on the ball, waiting for defenders to kind of come to him before trying to accelerate out and dribble around them, and and creating opportunities either through fouls against or, or looking for those inside cuts and lanes where he could just sort of run towards the net and then wait for supporting teammates or take the shot himself. And I think that 
this continued development and progression for Traore has made him one of the most dangerous attackers who also plays a particularly unique style. Not many players have this downhill running ability and, and physical strength that allows them to just sort of bully over players. Adama has that and I think if he continues on his current trajectory, he could be one of the most exciting players in all of football. He has a terrifying physicality, incredible speed, and he's starting to show a more gifted touch on the ball that allows him to score and create assists for his teammates. Wolverhampton's patience with him is finally starting to pay off and I think if he continues to develop the way he has, it's going to be very hard for Wolves to keep him on the roster. I'm sure every club in the world is watching him and wondering just how good of a fit he'd be on their flanking sides, creating space and time for their teammates. If you have any goal scoring or creative playmakers that you think I haven't talked about or, or you want me to talk about, be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco and at our other podcast handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As I said earlier, we will be continuing this series throughout the rest of the week, so be sure to keep an eye out for future episodes over the next few days. And before you log off, don't forget to check out the Locked On National Podcast. Never miss a big hockey story and start your week off with Locked On NHL. Every Monday, Locked On Kings host Sarah Avampato interviews local experts covering the biggest stories in hockey. Get reactions to blockbuster trades, deep dives on the teams destined to be at the top of the standings, and analysis of hockey's hottest stars. Subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and stay locked on. As always, thank you so much for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!